0: to livealittlehigher.com this week we read parasha hukas which is a parasha that is full of paradoxes in this parasha hashem commands the jewish people to take a red heifer a paraduma it has to be a red cow with no other color it cannot have one white hair in it. it has to be perfect it cannot have a blemish and it it cannot ever be used for work And Elasar the the priest, at that time, when the commandment is given, is supposed to sacrifice this red heifer and uh, sprinkle the blood seven times, and then he has to burn it, and the ashes he will use to purify a person that has been contaminated or impurified uh, by the contact of a dead person. And this sounds very weird. Also, what is weirder is that the person that purifies the person that is impure, he himself becomes impure. So to bring someone out of impurity, you yourself become impure. And in in this pasuk, it says, this is the law, if a man dies in a tent, whoever enters the tent and whatever is in the tent will become impure for seven days. So it's very interesting because this parasha is talking to us about life and death. And what is life and what is death, really? What determines if we're alive or we're dead? We could be dead, and whatever is alive is the world to come. So here it says that many of us go through life without a clue concerning why we're here, why we're sent down to this world. And when one does not realize his own life purpose, life has very little meaning and even less value. So a person that goes through life with no purpose, no meaning, he has no idea why he's in the world, he thinks that life is just a roller coaster, you come here, you eat, you drink, you go on vacation, you work, you have children, you have a wife or a spouse, and and that's life, then that person really is not really living. That person is just... occupying space, he's existing, but he's not really living. And uh, in Parashah Hukaz, the Torah addresses the ritual contamination created by death and the atonement which is catalyzed by the passing of a Tzaddikim, which is a righteous person. So it says that when a righteous person passes from this world, he really atones for all of us. And um, he cleanses everybody else. So today, we don't have a temple, we don't have a Mishkan, and we don't uh, do this uh, suprarational commandment of the paraduma. Today, when a righteous person passes from this world, it is considered as is he's purifying the us that are down here, that are not so righteous, and he's bringing life to us. So an, an individual who comes in contact with a deceased person becomes tame. And tame is the word, the word that is used for ritually impure. And in reality, <clears throat> In, in English or in any other language apart from uh, Hebrew, the word tamay really doesn't have a, a concrete explanation or a concrete uh, translation. Uh, to better define it, a person that becomes tamay is a person that has like a spiritual disconnection. That's what it really means. So when, for example, a woman is nida, that she has her menstrual cycle, she becomes tamay, she becomes nida. She, she, there's a disconnection. Because there's death inside of her that she's getting rid of, and uh, this is in a spiritual sense. It's not like a person became dirty and takes a bath and that's it. No, it's in a spiritual sense when there's death. Uh, we're in contact with death. The, there's a certain impuri- impurity in the in the soul. It's at a soul level. So on the third and the seventh days, the tamay person must be sprinkled with pure water mixed with ashes of the paraduma of the red heifer, and the red heifer, which had been burned in cedar wood, hyssop, and wood, died with red extract from certain worms, which this is one of the paradoxes of this parasha because it's associated with death, is confronted during the purification process. So the same water, which re- renders the person tamay, uh, which means ritually pure, Clean, cleanses render the person who ha, who has prepared it tame. So the person that prepares this water with the ashes of the red heifer, he himself becomes a tame. He becomes impure. The other person becu- becomes pure. So the interference between life in this world and life in the next world is filled with question. Uh, one of the biggest questions in life, and people we sometimes have like this void here when we think about death that we have this existential uh, fear about death and really that's the biggest fear that people have the deepest fear the root of all our fears is the fear to cease to exist and everybody has it so when a person understands the concept of death he comes to realize that there's no fear at all We, we shouldn't be fearing that because there's no way we're gonna cease to exist because our neshama, our soul, is really an emanation of God. is part of his essence and he's never gonna die. God was, he is, and he will be. He's eternal. So that part of him that lives inside of us, it doesn't mean we're God, but we have an essence of God inside of us. That part of us for really is eternal. So when a person passes from this world, That neshama lokit, that divine soul that we contain inside of ourselves, is eternal. It's never going to die. So dying is filled with questions. And the mere fact that we are to use hyssop, which comes from the lowly shrub, is paradoxical. The fact that both meet the same physical end in a place of warmth might give us something to think about. So this hyssop, this plant, when it dies... It, it fills itself with worms. And a person, when he perishes, when we die, and we're putting uh, under the ground, we're gonna be with the worms. It, we become, that that's what it is. I don't want to get too gruesome with this, but in reality, if we think about it, where we come from and where we're going, that will give us a lot of humility. And the Pirkei Avocet says, where do you come from? I come from a putrid pu- drop, you come from, a." from an egg and a sperm, that's where you come from. And where you're going, you're going under the ground and you're gonna end up be eaten by worms. So the physical death is not the end. It is only the beginning of life. And uh, Tanya explains that death is an interruption of life. Really, it's not the end. And Hazal teaches us, our sages, that those whose lives in this world are focused primarily on the spirit are even more alive in the next world. So when a person lives in this world and is focused on his soul, and he understands that he's a soul that lives inside of a body, and you're not a body with a soul, but a soul with a body, it's the other way around. And you nourish your soul, how do you nourish your soul? You wake up, you pray, you, you, you make sure to eat kosher food, you make sure to keep Shabbat, you keep sure to dress in the proper way, you keep the mitzvahs. This is to nourish your soul. This is food for soul, and, and you're nourishing it. But if you disconnect from the Torah and the mitzvahs, then you're living an, an existence that is only body. It's only body and pleasure, so um, physical pr- pr- uh, pleasure. So it says here that the reshaim, the wicked people, whose lives in this world have revolved around satisfying the needs of his flesh, and he's talking about a person that is only thinking about physicality, uh, <clears throat> are not truly alive even in this world. They're like zombies, They're not, they don't get it. And uh, thus, as the Bostoner Rebbe Shlita teaches, the main focus of Jewish mourning and purification practices is to teach the living how to live. Really, all this thing of the paraduma, which is a supra-rational thing that we cannot understand—it's called a hok, which is one of those mitzvahs that have no uh, logical explanation. We have to ha- take a leap out of our uh, out of our uh, intellect to be able to connect to faith and to be able to attach ourselves to these supra-rational commandments. What the Boston Rebbe is telling us is that all these suprarational commandments in reality are teaching us how to live and um and the uh, shlomo king salomon he says it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting for that is the end of all men and the living will take too hard so when you go to a house of mourning god forbid it's horrible but really, when you go to um, Levaya and people are talking about the person that left this world, the, the, the person that, they, that lived in this world, and, and they talk about their life, and they talk about how, how they lived and the people they touched and all the things they did, it puts people to think. It, it puts you in a different mindset. And I remember once I met a friend, and she told me, Margie, can you teach me how to make hala? And I looked at her and said, For sure, I'll teach you how to make hala. I, I give hala classes to brides. And, she, and I said, "When The next time I have a hala class for brides, I'll make sure to call you and, uh, and, uh, and I'll teach you how to make hala. And she was telling me, You know, I went to the levaya of a grandmother of one of my friends. And I was sitting in this levaya, and the grandchildren were giving eulogies of this grandmother. And they were crying. They couldn't stop crying because they were gonna miss so much their grandmother. And they were saying, "Where are we gonna go and eat Shabbat now? And who's gonna bake challah for us? And who's gonna make all that delicious food?" And and her house was so warm, and she always had all these goodies for us. And she loved us so much. And I'm gonna, we're gonna miss her so much. And the grandchildren were really beyond themselves. So this woman, when she's sitting and she's listening to the grandchildren, of this lady, she's not a grandmother yet, she's a young woman, she starts crying and she starts thinking, what am I leaving to my kids? They come home, I don't even make a cake, I make nothing. They come to a house, there's nothing, nothing precious that I can leave for them, something that they will remember me with warmth in their hearts. What what am I doing for them? And um, so she said, I want to learn how to bake challah. And uh, it came to be that that weekend I had this bride, and she came and she learned how to bake challah. And she came and she, then I heard from another friend that she makes the biggest, the nicest, the most delicious challahs. And one of her sons became a religious Jew because every time he came from school and he entered the house, he could smell the challah in his house and disconnected him to Torah. And this is what this legacy, this woman is gonna be remembered for and many more other things because it comes with it, with Shabbat, with the warmth in the home. So we have to really, when we go to a Levi and we listen to all these stories of, of people that had beautiful lives, really stirs things in our lives. So the Rebbe makes a profound observation, which I think helps us to confront the challenge of death from a practical perspective. And he says that when a person dies, people are always asking why did he die, why, why did it have to happen to him, why, 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 Yet when a person is born, when a baby comes into this world, nobody's asking why is this baby coming to the world. There's no question for that. And in reality we should be asking why is this baby being born, what is the purpose for this baby, why is he in this world. And um, So here he says, certainly life and death are linked. Had this person not be born, he would not have ever died. And how can we hope to discover the purpose of death without first uh, confronting the purpose of life? So until we don't confront the purpose of life, we will never understand why we have to die And, um, and how we should live accordingly. So how easy it is to complain and bemoan someone's passing. Do we ever apply the same questioning to his birth? And how often do we ask ourselves, why am I here? Am I fulfilling the purpose, the unique purpose for which I was created? Am I living up to my potential? Am I, am I every day making my days count? Do I go to sleep every night and say, wow, what an amazing day, look at what I accomplished? These are things we should be asking ourselves because life is precious. It's short for everybody. Even if you live 100 years, it's short. It goes like this. So, <coughs> so this is why the death of a righteous person atones, because the Sadiq is acutely aware of the question regarding his birth, and he is likely to have spent his entire life addressing this question. So he understands why he's here, and he lives up to it. So when he passes from this world, he has achieved a life of meaning, a life of value, a life in which he has carried out his god giving purpose. And such a passing is not death. It marks the beginning of continued life in Abba, the world to come. It is not the death that atones. It is the life that has preceded his new beginning, which atones. So when a person has had a life of meaning in this world, he has lived a life full of Torah, learning, mitzvot. He wakes in the morning. He's asking Hashem what do you need me for And he's there he's helping people he's kind to his family he's loving to his children he's being the best person he can be then in 120 years when this person passes from this world his life didn't end it continues it continues in many levels not only for him in Olam in the world to come but for his children his grandchildren and every person he touched his life with because they will acquire from this person they will do things that this person used to do and in this way he will live forever so i wish you a good week and remember to live a little higher thank you